TGIM Team RE, this is episode 292. Episode 292. Guess I, I started to say to myself, like, it's time for you to take this into your own hands. You know, like, you're worth it. You know, you can make this happen. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Joining me is my almost four-year-old son, as you just heard him. He is off summer camp today, and we are glued to the hip. So let's do this. On today's podcast, we've got Will. Will took his last drink on April 10th, 2018. He is from New York, and he is 43 years old. Guys, I have some updates on our upcoming virtual conference called Regionals. This event was originally planned to be an in-person event. However, we have shifted gears and we are hosting a virtual conference. This event was also going to have a cost. However, we've decided that we are charging $0 to attend. We basically just want to have a big alcohol-free party. Join us this October 23rd and 24th. We'll be hosting breakout rooms where you will make deep connections with people from all over the country. We have a lineup of amazing workshops, entertainment on both evenings, and some surprises sprinkled in throughout the sessions. The goal of this event is to come together in spite of all of the complications going on around the world and to provide a safe place to facilitate healing while keeping things fun, light, and authentic. This event is for Cafe RE members only and will be hosted via Zoom. Registration can be found on our website, www.recoveryelevator.com. And I can't wait to see all of your faces on my Zoom screen. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. I heard the other day on someone's social media speak about navigating through tough times. If you haven't found out already, when you choose to remove alcohol from your life, your problems don't dissolve. Removing alcohol allows you to actually do something about the problems and the challenges that you have, which is a huge head start. However, sometimes the problems and the challenges actually even present themselves more clearly when you remove the substance. My theory is that this is why many people go back to drinking. Sometimes, Continuing to have a blurry vision when it comes to your problems is easier than seeing them so well-defined. It's hard to do the hard thing. It's normal to want to take a shortcut. It's easy to pretend our problems aren't really there. And sometimes we have no choice. The problem is presented right in front of us. The storm hits. There's no escape. Nowhere in sight where you can run or hide, even if you wanted to. This gentleman that I was listening to was saying that most of the time, storms that hit our lives are not storms of our own creation. Perfect example is COVID. Man, we did not see COVID coming. Storms are known to create damage, to destroy, to take over things that have taken years and resources to build. However, storms end. They don't stay forever. And at one point or another, the sun comes out again. What was interesting about this Instagram video that I was watching was what the gentleman said next. He said most damage is done by a secondary storm. The secondary storm is one which we create in response to the first storm. It's how we react that tends to define how long it will take to rebuild what was lost or damaged. Secondary storms bring things that will not serve to fix the initial storm. 
This thing, this initial storm that we did not choose is long gone. And somehow, sometimes we are great at making it seem and making it feel like we're still there. Many times, our drinking ends up being a perpetual secondary storm that we bring to all of the storms that hit our life. And although we think that drinking will help us fix the storm, sadly, it will not. I even dare to say that when we hold on to alcohol as a resource to aid us from a storm, we don't only create a secondary storm, but we create a set of consecutive storms that just pile on one after the next. We have a choice. A choice to accept the initial storm, assess what needs to be done, and to move forward. Quitting drinking is hard. I know. It took me some time to stack the amount of days that I have stacked. So I'm speaking from experience. But trust me when I say you can manage the storm and its after effects so much better when you are focused on an alcohol-free life. I want to take this a bit further. There are other secondary storms that we may notice that we are responsible for. Denial, adopting the victim role, excessive complaining, sabotage, or perpetual negativity. I'm slowly learning that sadness and grief are normal and a part of what make us human, but I have also loved discovering my power to see things differently, to return to love and peace as often and as much as possible. We are all going through a lot. Storms have hit us this year big storms. We're in it together. Hang in there. All right. Eso es todo. That's my weekly dose of rambles on RE for this episode. And before we hear from Will, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive and loving community, and you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these on Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. What is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Another portion goes to in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use a promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you there. Will, welcome. How are you? Hey, Odette. I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. And, and how are you doing? I'm doing great. I know we're both taking this call in the middle of our work days. So thank you for taking the time to just meet me and chat. No, no problem. It's, it's my pleasure. Thanks again. Honestly, full disclaimer, and he's going to be hopefully listening to this, but Paul was like, you need to get Will on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Hope I could help. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you sharing your story with us. So let's get right into it. When was the last time you had a drink, Will? Uh, my last drink was April 10th of 2018. Okay, cool. And then can you give listeners a little background? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? 
Sure. I'm 43 years old. Uh, I'm from uh, New York City uh, in Queens, just about 15 minutes or so from uh, Manhattan. I am uh, an IT consultant currently. I've been in the IT space for roughly 17 years. I'm married. Uh, we have a dog. I, uh, what do I like to do for fun? I love anything to do with the outdoors. Surfing is, is one of my passions. Uh, I love to cook. I love live music. I really, really enjoy traveling any chance that I can get and, you know, biking, running, uh, anything with, with to do with the outdoors. Awesome. Did you work from home before COVID? I did, actually. I, I worked um, about for about six years straight from, from home prior to COVID and then uh, was back in the office for, I would say, roughly nine months. Um, and then uh, as a result of COVID, I'm, I'm now home again. Yeah, thanks for answering. I'm curious about people's routines and how that has changed, because at least for me, my routine completely changed and that tends to sometimes throw a curveball in, in recovery. Well, I'm a total creature of habit, but seems like you were already home and it wasn't that much of an adjustment yeah but a hundred percent but you know at the same time I, I got to see people have to adjust with a whole other level of complexity that you know i could have never imagined you know there's so much credit that that is to go out to to the folks that have made that adjustment you know especially ones that that are creatures of habit you know not easy what we're uh, facing yeah not easy and we're still in it so yeah, thanks for sharing. And can you give listeners some background on your history with drinking? When did you start drinking? When did you realize alcohol was no longer serving your goals? And just tell me your story. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I can remember having my first drink, I think 12 years old, out on vacation with a, a friend's family and, um, you know, hanging out with some older people. Uh, and I, I can specifically remember, you know, taking some swigs of, of, of some concoction but I really didn't get uh, into it until I was 15 or 16. And I, I would say that, you know, I, I kind of took off right away. Um, I, I enjoyed the, the way that it made me feel. It, it dissolved a lot of the, the anxiety that, you know, I would have in, in social situations. And it, you know, it started like, I think like a lot of people, it was uh, something that was done on the, on the weekends um, in high school. But pretty quickly, it, it started to pop up during the week. Um, I, I would have to say in my I guess it would be junior, late junior, senior year. Following that, I did go away to college. And, you know, that was just another uh, accelerating point. You know, I, I certainly kicked it into high gear uh, at, that, at, at that point. It, 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 it went full force. Um, I, I, you know, in college, it was, uh, I don't want to say it was a daily thing right off the bat, but it, it quickly became a, a daily habit. Not necessarily uh, every day uh, the same and, you know, as intense as, as, you know, some of the intense ones, but there was progression happening. You know, I could see it now that I, that I zoom out and, and take a look at the, at the path that I was on. And, you know, I, I, was, I gravitated towards people that, that drank and, and wanted to have fun like I did and party like I did. That was kind of the, that was kind of the, the, the thing right off the bat um, as soon as I, you know, enjoyed myself drinking. It was kind of finding the other people that were drinking like I wanted to drink. When I was in high school, I did hang out with people that were older than me. I played a lot of hockey and the coaches that I had later on in high school when I started drinking, you know, they actually, uh, once I started drinking, I started to hang with those guys and they were in their early 20s. So, you know, I was going to bars at a very early age um, and hanging out with people that were kind of drinking, you know, uh, at a different kind of pace than, than other folks uh, in high school. Are you an extrovert? 
extrovert. I wouldn't say so. No, I would say that I'm 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 pretty to myself. You know, I I don't I'm not boisterous or anything like that. I'm I'm pretty quiet in social situations. I mean, when I get engaged and I'm around people that I'm comfortable with, I'm more than happy to to kind of hang and and talk until the sun comes up. But uh, I'm not I'm not an extrovert. Okay, sorry. That was just a side question. I feel like sometimes people who gravitate towards older people are just extroverted and have that like ability to make that connection. But I was just curious. No, I think, you know, I think what brought us together was the common bond of, of playing hockey. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that brought us together. And, um, you know, they kind of took me under their wing. No, no, no fault to them by any means. Um, they were, you know, super successful and, and at, at the age that they were at and, you know, by no means did they have any sort of issue. It's just that uh, as somebody that was 16 years old, um, you know, I was kind of taken right into it. And then during college, I know you mentioned that you gravitated also towards people that like partying and you would just go out and have fun. How was your performance at school? Like, were you a high performer? How was the progression of the alcohol was happening? But how was life going for you? It, it definitely impacted my, you know, my school uh, 100%. I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do at 18 years old. I had no direction. Um, I was very into uh, kind of, you know, what I did on outside of school, right? So I was very into hockey, snowboarding, surfing. You know, I liked the energy that that those things brought um, and the way that they made me feel naturally, right, without any substances. I, I liked that feeling. So, you know, essentially when I went to college and it was time to focus on school, I quickly got physically into into a position where I wasn't able to enjoy those things anymore. I, I traded, you know, the things that I really loved and had a passion for uh, when I was, you know, late teenager. I, I traded all that for a lifestyle of, of partying and, and drinking. I, I didn't realize that was happening when I was in it, but uh, I can recollect, you know, uh, one example. Um, it's like clear as day where I came home for summer to go surfing, and I was, you know, we drove down to the beach and. I just slept in the car. I, I didn't have it in me to, to get into the water because I was still just wrecked from the night before. And, you know, I could just remember like, wow, that's that's the case. And that pattern continued. You know, I, like I said, I, I traded that in. And again, I just didn't realize what was happening at the time. What happened after college? So, yeah, after college, when I was in college, you know, I, I got um, I was very much into to seeing uh, live music. You know, in, in, in the area, uh, I was into a band that, that plays all over the country and, and people tend to, to, you know, to follow them around and see multiple concerts. And, you know, I just <laughs> I happened to find another exciting thing that, you know, that was a, a crazy environment with, you know, bright and colorful, exciting people. So I, I started to spend a lot of time seeing live music, following one band, you know, kind of around uh, the country. And it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. You know, the consequences from uh from that lifestyle um you know it's a partying lifestyle they weren't you know clear as day i actually i mean i did have a a, a dewey um at, at 20 right before i turned 21 and it was like completely minimized at that point uh you know it was different times and you know my family also you know drinking is part of my family culture so you know i didn't i didn't get the response from from family and friends that that perhaps other people may have gotten it was kind of like oh you know you're 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 young you know let's get this behind you and and let's not make a mistake again so you know interesting to see that you know at the time i didn't see something as a consequence but now when i look at it it's like yeah there were certainly consequences but you know the, i guess the point is is that school took you know a secondary uh to 
to the things that I really enjoy to do. And those things that I enjoy to do happen to have drugs and alcohol at the center of them. Yeah, I feel like DUIs at a young age and having a crazy phase in your 20s or during college, they're perceived a lot of the time socially as most rite of passage of like, oh, most people who have a DUI was when they were young or, you know, these narratives that society has used to just normalize it, I think. So did you ever at any point, outside from you realizing that you were trading a lifestyle for your hobbies and what truly made you feel good did you start questioning like maybe i drink a lot no i i you know the the opposite i think was happening in the sense that you know my behavior was being normalized by other people that i was mm-hmm. surrounding myself with so you know maybe how it looks like is you know there's a couple of groups of people that you hang out with and you may see see one group on one night one on the other they may be going back to real life and, and doing you know what they should be doing but i kind of i guess was maybe perhaps bouncing around or even finding groups of people that were, were like me and, and normalizing the types of behavior. So, you know, I didn't, you know, subconsciously, I wasn't looking at, uh, at it as something that I, I think that, you know, I needed to change. I know that, you know, in college, I do remember being so severely hungover at one point, you know, now, which I realize is, you know, just basically going through withdrawals. You know, I remember lying in bed being like, this is, this isn't good. You know, this isn't normal. But again, the, 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 <laughs> the attraction to, to fun and excitement, and, and honestly, human connection, I mean, you know, whether or not it's it's somewhat of an illusion when you're, you know, involving alcohol, you know, I really value connecting with people and enjoying their time and getting into deep conversations. You know, granted, they were, you know, basically not not really all that true when you're throwing, you know, drugs and alcohol on top of it. But at the same time, you know, I may have been operating uh, under the illusion that they were. Yeah, that sense of belonging. You, yeah. you were actually feeling that. So, of course, you were going to keep putting yourself in that environment if at that moment it was helping you feel connected to them. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, in, in doing, you know, getting to the point where, you know, now doing some work on myself, you know, one of the things that stands out is, you know, the, the feeling of not being a part of, you know. So that's that's something that for whatever reason, you know, I really, I guess, again, subconsciously just moved to uh, and and into opportunities where I I could find that. What happened after this phase of you following that band and the live music? This was in your 20s still. Walk me through your next chapter. Yes, there was a lot of excitement. A lot of awesome people met. Uh, One of them was, you know, my now wife, you know, so we we've known each other uh, going back 20 years. And uh, we met, you know, in that in that area. Um, You know, she's from a different part of the country. And after spending some time, you know, with each other, uh, you know, people were at that age, obviously moving into, you know, career spaces, right. So I did have a a period that I I did kind of roll things back a bit, you know, that there was days off from drinking, you know, which for me at the time was a significant progress. And, and we, we decided to move to the West Coast. We moved out to, to Washington State, um, which is completely different from, you know, anything that somebody that grows up on Long Island has experienced. So we moved out there and, um, you know, I went to school and obviously I'd been to school a bunch before that, but never with any uh, intent or focus. But I, I did have a focus and I, I ended up just getting like a you know, a quick technology related degree that would be able to get me into the walk- workforce quickly. So, you know, that's that's what we did. And, and to be honest, those are, you know, some of the best memories that I have. We actually, you know, did, uh, you know, kind of real things in a bit. And 
taking multiple days off of drinking at a time, paying attention to, to health and, 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 you know, spending time out in nature. And, you know, there was some balance there, uh, some sense of balance. But at the same time, there were still pockets of craziness that were happening on the weekends. And, you know, basically they were there if I ever wanted to, you know, go and find them, which, which I certainly did. Yeah, the, I like that you said pockets of craziness. I do feel like a lot of people that that definition of balance is also normalized, which is why alcohol sometimes it's scary because you can just have a life where you're finding that balance and then having a little bit of crazy and then going back to the balance and a little bit of crazy and then going back to that balance. But there's just something about that that at some point probably just tips over for many people, but that could go on for a long time. Did anything happen for you where it kind of progressed quickly after that? Well, I would say that, you know, during that time, like we, we were, you know, like kind of homebodies and enjoying like entertaining. There was certainly like a, a wine phase going on and I was very into cooking and all that. And, you know, there was there was a lot of that happening, just feeling like you're, you're growing up into an adult, let's say. And I, I remember, uh, you know, starting to drink vodka a little bit at that point. And, you know, that that's kind of like planted the the seed to, in a sense, uh, be a little bit more physically dependent on, on alcohol. So, you know, once I finished up school, I ended up, you know, moving back to, to New York. And this was actually like right at the time of uh, 9-11 um, or thereabouts. And, you know, when I moved back to New York, uh, I, I did have a, you know, a job that I was going to be going to, um, going into. So this was like the, the start of, um, you know, the IT career. And it was at that point post 9-11. And what, what happened was, is a lot of the people that I met over the, <laughs> over the, you know, the journeys across the country, some of them relocated to, to New York City. And, and, you know, some other people lived there that were part of the same scene. And there was a, a thriving, you know, music scene in, in New York City. So, that kind of shifted things towards, all right, you're, you know, you're working nine to five, but you also, you know, hang out on the weekends and, you know, basically do a bunch of crazy stuff with, with people that you've, you know, you've met over, over the years. Um, and, you know, being in New York city, that that's available at all hours of every day for the most part. Uh, so things did shift. I mean, I remember the first night that I was out until like one in the morning, two in the morning on a work night, and then having to sit in an office the next day, you know, completely hung over. Um, and like I mentioned, you know, the, the switch over to harder liquor because, you know, the, the thinking that, you know, maybe there's less calories or things along those lines, um, you know, that came into play. And that's where really the physical dependency and, and really the, the, the progression became noticeable um, and started to really impact uh, my life. At this point, did you start introducing some rules or moderation attempts as you realize how like maybe you were feeling more physically dependent? Yeah, there were there was a point where, you know, moderation was attempted, you know, at home and it 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 just evaporated over time. Like it the, the window of moderation started to just close. So like first it started no drinking like Monday to, you know, Thursday and that just started to the wall started to close in where um, you know, my wife and I it was acceptable to have a couple glasses of wine after work and then, you know, again there was there was a point where kind of the the rules just got thrown to the side. And vodka was the, the choice to drink and it was happening every night. And, you know, this went on for many years. Did you start also having conversations with your wife about this or if you're comfortable with talking about if it affected your relationship? No, I mean, I, I would say that we're, we were both in it. Um, you know, I, I can let my wife absolutely uh, tell her story. Um, you know, she's in recovery as well. So, 
you know, we, we, we both found ourselves in, in difficult situations and, you know, there was enabling that was going on on both sides and, you know, just, it was something that was very, um, you know, very difficult to navigate. You know, my family was drinking, my wife was drinking, you know, all my friends, you know, partied. So again, the, the normalization of it, um, it was hard to get away from. And I, I you know, I, I realized that, you know, nights home doing nothing just were, were difficult for me to handle. Did you have a rock bottom, Will? What happened? Well, you know, the, the physical dependence went on for, for, you know, many years. And, you know, my solution to that was to, to find a doctor that was going to prescribe me something that would get me through that uncomfortableness. You know, and, and that's not the answer for, for anything. I mean, that's just that's just adding another layer onto your addiction. You know, for me, it was a benzo. And, you know, I was prescribed them and, and did that daily and it impacted my sleep. So I was prescribed something else for sleep. So now all of a sudden I'm juggling, you know, three different substances with potentially other ones. And, you know, things went on for, like I said, for years. And eventually, you know, the chaos on the home front ensued to a point and the physical you know, impacts were, were bad in the sense that I, I was not looking good on the outside to friends and family. Like there was little things that were being said to me, um, you know, here and there by family members. And then eventually, a friend, you know, two friends did, you know, say that they were concerned after an event and chaos ensued in the house and, and fighting with my wife. And I, I was in a state of, you know, just kind of hopelessness and, and went to my family's house. And, you know, it was determined that I needed to, you know, to look for help and, and get, get, get to treatment. How did you feel when you were approached about people being concerned? I, I accepted it. I knew that that what was going on was not normal. I, you know, for a long time, I never, I, I didn't want to drink the next day. I just didn't know how to not to. Like I, I literally would wake up with physical uncomfortableness that I, I could not get away from. And the only solution that I really had was to say to myself, well, I'm only going to have three today to get rid of this uncomfortableness and we're going to deal with it tomorrow. And that cycle repeated um, for so long, which, you know, again, eventually ended me in treatment. And that was, you know, in 2016, which was the first time that I was uh, in, in treatment. I, I did end up uh, again. Did you do inpatient treatment? Yeah, I, I did an inpatient treatment. Uh, it was a 28 day program. Um, you know, I'll say right up front that, you know, I, I wasn't ready right like i went in it was a drunken chaotic weekend i went to my family's house we, we went to a hospital they didn't have a bed they you know they prescribed me medication to get me through the day and we, we drove to pennsylvania and you know the, the dust started to settle and you know i was completely new to treatment i was new to recovery i was new to aa i was new to everything and 20 years of drinking it was hard for me to envision a life without it and that i had to say goodbye to it so 28 days even though you were in treatment were they like a white knuckling situation for you? It's not to say that I wasn't looking to work on myself. I, I was. I think that the power of, you know, the the the, the situation, the, the lifestyle, the, you know, the thought of having to change my life and change everything was just so overwhelming at the time that I, I just went through each day and, and did what they told me. But when I got out, you know, I went back to a home, a situation at home that was difficult because my my wife was still drinking and it's it's not our responsibility by any means to to worry about me but it, it was you know not not ideal let's say and then you know my family was was not you know nobody was educated on on the you know severity of the situation and and what what you know kind of would help myself and and everyone so you know i didn't i didn't go to meetings essentially the way that you know i was told to i you know i started going to aa i met people i tried to build out a network but I, I relapsed pretty quickly, uh, you know, within the first 60 days. 
I was just talking to somebody about this recently about how I don't think there's enough emphasis put into what to do after there's de very different treatment centers and different ways to get help. But I think that a lot of the struggle that a lot of us face, and that includes me when I went to treatment is like, what do you do when you get out of that bubble of help? Right? What do you do? How do you deal with, with situations? And that's where I think the work really begins and it gets really, really hard. So I, I hear you on that. And I had a wealth of resources, you know, right in my neighborhood. I mean, New York City has an incredibly uh, strong recovery community. It, it seems like a scary place to, to be sober, but it's actually an amazing place to be sober. And, you know, I just didn't, didn't you know, do what, what was suggested to me. Um, I thought that I could do it my way. I thought that, you know, you know, whatever it would be that was in my head, willpower or, you know, I could only I only needed to do this, that and the other thing and, and not do everything else. And yeah, I just, uh, I resented people that could still drink and party because I was like the first one within, you know, my circle of friends and family that I had seen that had to face this. And it was just like really confusing to me because, you know, my perception of what reality was, was that kind of everybody was doing what I was doing, but in reality, you know, that wasn't the case. So there was a lot of resentments going on. And unfortunately, you know, I didn't know how to process that or deal with it. So for the next two years from 2016 to April 2018, was it just you just went back or did you have multiple attempts? Walk me through the two years before your last date. Yeah, I mean, I was going in and out and, uh, you know, it was crazy. I mean, um, you know, I when I got sober in Pennsylvania in that 28 day program, you know, I realized that I had, you know, significant amount of like numbing and pain in my feet. And, um, you know, they they talked me through it and it was enough to make me very uncomfortable um throughout that whole experience and i felt like my balance was off and you know i i essentially what happened was when i you know came home i saw a neurologist and it, it turns out that i have um you know nerve damage from from the years of drinking uh it's the you know the the toxins itself as well as uh vitamin deficiency that comes along with it when you're you know drinking you know a large amount of vodka every day and can't really eat so you know, that wasn't even enough for me to, to essentially, you know, find something that was going to stick, uh, just because it, it, it just seemed like it was, it was very much, um, impossible to, to, to get a hang of the thing. Uh, so I was in and out of, um, you know, the rooms of AA, you know, but I wasn't doing anything really that, that was being suggested to me. So, you know, basically, um, you know, I can basically, uh, credit myself for that. You know, I, I ended up back in a cycle of, of drinking heavily. I could say that, you know, when you go back, it's it picking up right where you left off. You know, I remember I was down in Miami and uh, I had like I had an idea. I was staying at a friend's house. He went out of town and, you know, it seemed like a good idea just to have two, you know, Coronas on the beach. And, you know, it was only supposed to be two. There was no intent to do anything. And like the next thing you know, I'm, I'm in a detox, you know, 10 days later, you know, that's that's just the craziness. Like it, in my right mind, you know, A, I would never think to have those two Coronas and B, the fact that like, it takes you right back there. Uh, my body was so physically, you know, I guess adjusted to having alcohol in it when it did, it just, it just started to do stuff where it was impossible for me to, to get out of the, the physical withdrawals unless I had help, you know, from a, a medical professional. So what happened on April 10th of 2018? How was it different? So, yeah, I mean, I, I ended up going into a detox. I, uh, 
I found myself in a, in a, in a you know, an unfortunate situation. I was, I was drinking. I was uh, really trying. We just, I did a 60 days of, of sobriety leading up to the holidays and, and, you know, a glass of wine with, with the Christmas tree decoration, you know, we caved to that situation. And, um, you know, we went, well, I was drinking again. Right. And then I was also trying not to drink, you know, it was, it was very much a goal for, for me to get a hang of this thing. And I was mismanaging some medication that, uh, that I was given for my nerve pain. And, uh, what happened was, is I, I ended up, um, you know, getting to the point where I, it, it, like, it was like a, a mental like psychosis. So there was like three days that I was in a spot where, you know, hallucinations were happening. Um, happened to have some experience with, uh, <laughs> with, uh, you know, substances that, that can do that to you. Um, so like it, it didn't freak me out to a level that, that, you know, I can imagine someone would be if they'd never experienced it, but it was an extremely horrifying, uh, thing to go through. And, um, you know, I just by, by luck had a friend that was coming into town, uh, to visit. And he, you know, he's probably one of the only people he, he flew in from the West coast, uh, not to, not to take care of me, but to come visit. But he is probably one of the only people that that could have navigated me to a detox and, and got me to, you know, commit to, to going in and then follow up with uh, with treatment. And you've you had done something similar. You had detoxed, you had done treatment. So did you find a new resolution or purpose or why? Or it's been two years and a little over two months that you haven't had a drink. So what changed? So, yeah, I mean, I mean, there was enough pain to make me realize that uh, I needed to change. You know, I had the, you know, what I would say, the, you know, the humbling that I needed to have. Uh, when I woke up, you know, in that detox, I had more pain in my feet than I ever could, you know, than I ever imagined because I continued to drink those two years. So I did significant damage in those two years. And, you know, I saw the destruction that that those two years caused. And you know, some other developments happened where I guess I, I started to say to myself, like, it's time for you to take this into your own hands, you know, like, you're worth it, you know, you can make this happen. You know, th we did it differently this time, you know, it was suggested that I go down to, to Florida, it was in the, you know, it was in uh, April. So it was, you know, nasty up here in New York, I already tried Pennsylvania, uh, my friend, actually, you know, one of my best friends that, that I grew up with, um, he uh, he's a program director or, you know, various roles within the, the treatment um, industry. And, you know, he suggested I go down there and give it a shot. And, you know, I went into a program and I didn't know how long I was going to go for and I stayed for four months. Wow. How do you feel right now? Just telling your story. No, oh, it feels good. It feels really good. Do you still you get know, cravings? It's, it's, not really. I get fleeting thoughts. Okay. And what has been, what's your biggest tool or way of coping with uncomfortable feelings? I feel like cravings morph into what they truly have always been, which is just dealing with something that we don't want to deal with. Yeah. I mean, you know, you learn pretty quickly uh, to, to get, you know, comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, you know, once I started to take it seriously, uh, you know, that the treatment facility that I went to was just a great fit. There was a small place and, and I really got into, you know, the opportunity that was presented to me and started to explore, you know, recovery concepts. Um, you know, I, I did start to, to go to AA down there and I, I do still go to AA. So, you know, I've, I've done I've done the work on myself. So I process those feelings. I, I feel them. 
you know, at this point, and I can make sense out of them now. Uh, it's not something that I just look to to grab uh, something to make it go away, or you know, to find that dopamine hit, or you know, whatever whatever we do to to kind of or whatever I do to to act out. You know, that doesn't happen anymore. Earlier, you were speaking about in previous attempts just having a lot of resentment, and I I wanted to go back to that because I am someone who I've been in recovery for a few years, and I've always liked recovery. I've always liked the concepts and, and always thought like I can make something good out of this shit that happened. But I've been lying to you if I would just wouldn't admit that I get my moments of like, I just want to be normal looking at other people live lives differently. And when did that started changing for you? When did you start kind of just accepting like, well, this is who I am? Yeah, I mean, there was there was an absolute light bulb moment when I was down in Florida. I mean, it, it was both the, the the idea, and I think you know the, the the facility that I was at. You know, they were really good at at you know finding ways to uh, to help people, and they they really drilled in the idea of purpose to to me. You know, like when I explained my situation and like how I was boxed into a job that I really disliked and, and gave them the full picture, they were like, "Man, you need purpose, dude. Like your your life will change with purpose." So I, I did have a, a white you know, white light moment, you know, while I was in treatment, I, I was going through uh, doing a ton of research on the situation with my feet and and understanding what I'm looking at, because I mean, I, I could barely stand for more than, you know, 10 minutes at a time, you know, at that point, and, and walking is uncomfortable and sleeping at nights impossible. So, you know, I was really, really trying to find answers for everything, you know, the, the why am I in this situation? You know, I'm, I'm asking that to the universe, like, well, what is this all about? And, you know, what I found is that, you know, there's purpose in the struggles that we go through. You know, we, we, <laughs> if we have the ability to climb out, you know, that, that turns into to value for other people. And, you know, once that concept kind of, you know, hit that, that opened up the idea of willingness to, to really do anything that I could, you know, cause it's, 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 you know, there's, there's happiness in it, in it. And, um, you know, I think you, you mentioned it in a sense that, uh, yeah, it's just good stuff to be able to do that. Yeah, has have your feet healed in the last two years? The mm, pain, they've, they've, yeah, they've, they've. No, no, I still deal with pain. I still have, you know, balance issues and can't walk with like really no shoes on. But uh, you know, the the rest of my body is healed. You know, I had to physically recover. I had to, you know, take diet and exercise very seriously because diet helps with like lowering the pain because of inflammation and um, exercise helps with circulation, which, which, you know, helps the pain. So, you know, I ended up um, getting into shape. Like I lost like 55 pounds and, you know, became more mobile as a default because of that. Uh, the pain, you know, is really in a sense manageable right now. Like I, I know that when it's going to come for the most part, it's a limitation, but at the same time, I would never have the perspective that I have now if I've never faced this, right? So like the gift that I got in return is something that, you know, depending on how I look at it, which I've now, you know, started to look at things a lot different all over in life, you know, this turns into something that's a gift because it, in, in, a, in a sense, you hear like chronic pain, you know, it could be the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, telling you it's time to move. And that's, that's the purpose that it served for me. Yeah, it's there for a reason and that's that's hard to accept, but it's it's really great to hear you there and to and to I can just hear it in your voice. Like this is an opportunity and you're making the best of it. So that's that's awesome. When you left four months later from this treatment center, I know you mentioned AA. What 
what was your plan or did you just focus on like one day I just need to get to a meeting every day, one day at a time or what tools really worked for you when you detach from the program, like from the center? Yeah, I, I jumped right in. So I was working from home and, you know, you know, obviously those six years of working from home when I was still drinking did, did major damage because it, it gave me that freedom. But this time I came home and, you know, now I'm sober. Uh, so I really took advantage of being able to go to meetings. Um, you know, so that was my primary tool. I was definitely open to any anything related to recovery. You know, I was willing to read, you know, self-help stuff, spirituality stuff. Um, you know, I was willing to go to AA and I was very hungry for it at that point. You know, I realized that, you know, it's either I keep on drinking and I lose everything that that mean, you know, means something to me, the people that I love or like I could have the people that I love in my life uh, and just not drink like, you know, you decide. So, you know, th there were certain things that were giving me, um, you know, the willingness to really do whatever it took. And, you know, I, I really doubled down on meetings. And then three or four months later, I ended up getting laid off, which, you know, was like an insane blessing that came my way. And then I really had some, some freedom to, to, to really get embedded in the community that I'm in. And, um, you know, that lifted me up a, a ton. So it was, it was just an amazing opportunity to take that, uh, you know, seriously, um, instead of, you know, not seeing the value that was in it. Yeah. Do you have a sponsor? I do. Have you sponsored anyone? Do you think you'll ever get there? Yeah, I actually just just started uh, working with a guy uh, yesterday, somebody that I've known for a while, um, but, you know, hasn't done the work yet. And we, we decided that, uh, you know, it, it could help him out. So that that process is, is started. I It was kind of put on pause because of COVID and, you know, I, I needed to, to, to get into doing that. So I'm, I'm grateful to, to have that opportunity. It's, it's such a gift um, to be able to you know, hand something that was freely given to me to somebody else. I love that. Yeah, I I feel like with everything going on with COVID connection community, I mean, there are not they are not new concepts at all. But AA is one of the strongest communities that the world has right now. And and I'm really happy that that you have that and that you're starting to just pay it forward. I mean, you are right now just by sharing your story. So thank you. No, you're welcome. I mean, yeah, it's it's unbelievable that when COVID hit, it was just like. <laughs> all right, you know, you want us to isolate and, you know, practice certain principles, like we're, we're comfortable, you know, with, yeah. with, you know, things that we can't control. <laughs> like, that's, that's all good. This is all familiar territory. So yeah, you know, it's certainly, certainly interesting to, to watch all that go down. But, um, you know, again, blessed to have that, that capability. And it's amazing that it's offered to others that, you know, are able to do it via, you know, via Zoom meetings and stuff. Now it's, it's pretty wild. And obviously, you know, I am part of Cafe RE. And that was something that I added to my, you know, tool set, you know, and extremely grateful for for all the connections and the you know the wisdom that comes out of that and you know all the tools that come out of it so you know i, I certainly complimented uh what i had going on in aa with uh you know with with that community yeah that's awesome i i feel like adding new tools and trying new things is a part of recovery and and it, it serves everybody even people who aren't in recovery just exposing yourself to new new ways of doing new ways of learning. So it's been great having you on there and seeing you on some of our webinars. We've been used to Zoom calls forever. We've been doing those for a long time. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, yeah, I hear you. And it's it's just, yeah, it's, it's amazing to watch. And it, it, you could see the, you know, the group ramp up as a result to, to COVID, you know, and it's just, I have such, you know, uh, immense of uh, admiration to the people that are early on, you know, throughout all this and that are, you know, that are doing it. 
you know, dealing with, with families that are home and kids and, and, and all the things that are coming, you know, with, with having to adjust to this and then, you know, maintaining sobriety is just, you know, unreal to watch. Um, and it's, it's really great to see. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, but I, you said it earlier, it's inspiring to see people realize that inside of all of this chaos and crisis and collective trauma, really, that, that they're worth it, that we are all worth it, no matter what's going on, even if the world is falling apart, we are worth it. And this is a chance to put ourselves first, right? And like you said, you, you can't really have all the things that you're scared to lose if you're not taking care of yourself first and feeling like you're worth it. So I'm certainly glad you got to that moment. What do you like drinking when you when you do socialize? What's your favorite non-alcoholic beverage, Will? Uh, I'm just a, a club soda guy. You know, whatever flavor is, is handy. Uh, I have like a, some sort of a crystallized like orange packets that I use at home because um, I'm a big fan of orange stuff. And, uh, you know, when I go out, it's it's usually a club soda with lemon. Uh, you know, that does trick for me. Nothing fancy. And then going back to relationships that you had, did you ever get any pushback from people when discussing that you just wanted to stay on this path? No, I mean, I think that the, the lack of pushback is, is, a, is a testament to, you know, kind of the rough shape that I was in. Like I, I, I had actually, you know, where I ended up doing my last drinking days in was a, was a local watering hole that, you know, I, I think that for me, and I've, I've heard other people uh, kind of have this as part of their story, is that, you know, potentially our bar gets lowered, right? The, the people that we start associating with are, are people that are going to accept the condition that we're in. You know, I, I, I wasn't a loud drunk. I never, I didn't enjoy confrontation. I didn't get into fights. Um, but, you know, towards the end, you know, my friends didn't know what to do and they just couldn't necessarily support, uh, you know, the behavior that was going on. So they just kind of pulled back. Uh, you know, my wife kind of, you know, she kind of people expressed their concerns to my wife. So it was pretty complicated. And even my family, you know, were, were very much uh, didn't know what to do. So I didn't once even the people at the bar, they they got it, um, you know, that that I was hanging out in. I mean, you know, a lot of people are sick in there and it's kind of just like, OK, well, yeah, it's it's good to see you, uh, you know, change what you're doing because um, it wasn't going to end well. Yeah, that had to be good validation to just feel the support. All right. Well, well, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? Uh, I think I'm ready. Yeah. OK, if you could talk to day one, Will, what would you say to him? Uh, I, I would say you're you're 100% worth it and you're a hell of a lot stronger than you could ever imagine. What are you excited about right now? You know, right now, I'm just grateful to, to have the tools that, that I have, um, you know, and, and see where this takes us. I think that the state of affairs in the, in the world is, is kind of changed, you know, what I would typically be excited about. But, you know, consistency of just living a sober life and, and, and giving back, you know, to, to whatever community. And, you know, doing the things that I enjoy, uh, you know, that that's all that that's more than enough for me right now. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, anything with salted caramel. Yes. <laughs> what are some <laughs> of your favorite resources in recovery outside of AA in your meetings? Uh, I would say Cafe RE, you know, multiple podcasts, um, you know, self-help books, uh, people that have been in recovery. Uh, yeah. What parting piece of guidance can you give listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? That, you know, that life on the other side of this thing, uh, you know, is, is just beautiful. Um, you know, that there's a there's a life to be had out there that 
uh, I know that I couldn't envision for myself. But taking like the plunge and a leap of faith into this thing, you know, is is rewarded me in a way that I could have never imagined. And before we depart, give listeners your own. You may have to say adios to booze if flying. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I know that there's some uh, a little bit of a uh, kind of laughter that could be involved in this, but for me, really, if, if you're if you're curing your hangovers with more alcohol, you know, that that's a point that that's very difficult to come back from. Yeah, and that's that's a sign for many people, and they are getting that sign every day. So follow that sign. Thank you, Will. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I appreciate you, and I can't wait for everyone to hear this. Well, thank you so much for that. It's, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Very well, Team Ari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to give you my weekly Ari challenge. Take some time this week to assess the challenges you are dealing with right now. What storms have been presented in your life lately? Make a list of things you think you've been doing to navigate the situation. Don't judge yourself. Just jot them down. Edit as you see fit. If there are things on there that you don't like, write out how you'd like to see yourself continue on this path of rebuilding after the storm. Visualize it. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, I believe in you. Grab your life vest and let's do this. I love you guys. 